Revolting is produced by the Cycling Independent, with the support of subscribers like you and additional underwriting from Shimano North America. We are community-focused, community-supported, and dedicated to the whole of cycling. Always remember, at the Cycling Independent, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. This is Revolting with Steve and Robot on the Cycling Independent, episode 49. You can't go home again. Content warning before we start, you should know that this podcast contemplates both mature and immature themes. You might not like all the words we use or the ideas we bring up. So if you're sensitive about these things, maybe this isn't the podcast for you. In fact, it's probably not. Go away. <laughs> Thank you for switching that up this week. I needed I needed to hear you say something different, and I needed to see the look on your face when you realized that I wrote something different. <laughs> <laughs> I read the notes last night, and I didn't even notice that, so sweet. Uh, Thomas Wolf, uh, he said that. He said you can't go home again. Yeah. and I Wrote got, a whole book book on it. I got, you know, I thought, I thought a lot about that. Um, maybe it was, maybe it was 10 years ago. No, it was 12 years ago that I went back for my, um, my, uh, high school reunion and I was reflecting on not being able to go home and all of my trips, subsequent trips, especially when I was in college, I had, a lot of issues going home. Uh, but we'll get, uh, I mean, they, they were just like personal, emotional things, but we'll get into all of that after uh, this week's music pick. Yeah. And you've got what one. What do you got? Oh, you, I do. You got one. You, I, Eve, you send me, you sent me a text message about this and I haven't had time to get into it. This is your new favorite band. If you don't know them already, mm. which you might, they are called Hank Wood and the Hammerheads. And they are a New York City um, punk rock band who Hank Wood is kind of a gospel screamer kind of singer. Okay. Uh, which I enjoy a lot. His dad was the drummer in Richard Hell and the Vo Voivoids. Vo Whatever Richard Hell's band was called, the Voivoids? Vovoids? I don't know. Richard Hell has been in a number of projects, though. He's sort of... Well, anyway, Hank Wood's dad played drums for that band, and then his stepdad was like an avant-garde jazz musician. And so when you listen to Hank Wood and the Hammerheads, you might not really glean that there's a like a rich musical background there but there is and i think they make very beguiling and soulful music that everyone should listen to uh i've t i tend to kind of steer clear of bands that are this thing and the that thing you know even sure. though i i one day hope to be in a band called punch drunk and the zero sound Yes. That's kind of what, uh, that's my life goal. Uh, but Hank Wood and the Hammerheads, I'll make a note of it. Well, you already did. And you texted me about it. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I led you to water. <laughs> Will you drink? Oh my God. My, Probably not. My headphones sound just absolutely garbage. We have been plagued. I will mention really quickly. We've been plagued with tef dif technical difficulties. Uh, this morning, but all last week, it was just a complete fiasco. We did make an attempt to record a podcast with special guest Joe Parkin and his nice hair. Yeah. And we failed. Big time. It, it took like three hours and we finally gave up. <laughs> um, well, it was He was like reclining very uh, seductively on his bed while I was sitting in a chair next to it. And we had like a million miles of cables and two mics and this one mixing box. And I had to upload the software and it was, even after all that, we just couldn't get it together. And then this morning I got home 
uh, and I sat down in my little closet and we're already out of the gate. We're already having some problems. Um, and hopefully it won't translate to today's recording, but if I just throw my hands up and flip the little table over and walk away, this is why. <laughs> just stay positive, kid. Uh, so my music pick of the week is a band I mentioned before, but they just had, a, they have a new record out right now. Uh, came home to a post, two post office boxes, just jam packed full of shit and records and stickers and boxes of product and so much stuff. But the new meat wave record on Swami records is out now. It's called the lion hex. And I put it on as soon as I started working yesterday. And it's been like, I just have been one side and then the other side and then the other side again. And then the first side three times back and forth and back and forth. And it's just, they're so good. Three piece out of Chicago. Holy cow. Uh, I just can't get enough of it. So I saw them open for plosives mm-hmm. uh, back whenever that was. And I believe a uh, shirtless drummer with gloves. I don't remember gloves. Definitely shirtless drummer. And he looks a little bit like a Fraggle Rock character. <laughs> like big wild hair and kind of like, yeah. like shitty pervy 70s mustache maybe. Or like some sparse, yep. weird sparse facial hair. He was, yep. he was mesmerizing. They're just, they're all so, they're so good. It's, yeah. it seems unnaturally like otherworldly natural how tight and in sync seemingly without like paying any attention to each other they're just it's 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 one single unit working so efficiently yeah and if you hear that on record you're like oh well they're in the studio and they just synced it all up and it's like you know you can do a bunch of stuff in the studio to make your band sound that way but to do it live is is really wow yeah yeah i I saw sonic youth a long time ago and they were they reproduced this chaos that is on the record they reproduced it live and like very tight and i was like wow how how does this how do you even make this? Yeah. I don't even know. Yeah. Not not unlike, you know, I was, I think I've referenced free jazz where it just sounds like people are has like seizing on all of their instruments. <laughs> but yeah. the fact that they can do that like note for note identically time after time after time has always been something of a myst- an impressive mystery to me. You're like this sounds terrible, but it's really consistent. Yeah, <laughs> consistently terrible. But yeah, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm with you. So uh, Hank Wood and the Hammerheads uh, for Robot and <clears throat> excuse me, uh, what did I say? Meatwave, uh, Malign Hex, and their new record. You you already had two cups of coffee today, haven't you? One and a half. All right. Well, maybe it's the end of the second one that puts you over the top. In terms of aggravation or in terms of clarity? <laughs> yeah, one or the other. <laughs> um, I, speaking of uh, bands that uh, make a god-awful racket uh, and do it the same every time. Well, not even the same, but I saw Idols since last time we recorded. Mm, mm-hmm. And they are so goddamn good. They really are. Um, and they're better. They're better than they've ever been uh, crawl and whatever the other record was with the guy with the giant pink ball smashing on his face. Ultra mono. Those that, were that two. One? Yeah. Uh, uh, they're just, they're, they're increasingly better. They're increasingly tighter. They're just, they're just explosive. They're relentless too. Like they're just too, like every, if you follow them on Instagram, they're just at every festival. They're just playing in every city. They're just putting out records and touring. Like, I don't understand how they do that much work. And, um, fiercely too. It's not, you know, it's not like they're going through the motions. It is, they put absolute, 100% 100% of themselves into seemingly, you know, I've seen them and I've seen footage of them. It's just, they're leaving everything on the stage at the end of the show. It it doesn't seem sustainable to me. No, I would be very tired. They must be athletes on some level. Like I think what they do is athletic. Yeah. Oh yeah. Without question. Uh, yeah. It's, so it's been a minute since we've, uh, 
we weren't able, we were able to talk last week. I was in Colorado for two weeks. Um, I had a flight credit, uh, to go well, or a voucher. I had gone down to see, or I was going down to see Ozorn play two years ago, um, to, you know, whatever to uh, the debuting of the then new record. And then that was, I was supposed to leave on the 20th of March. And I think everything shut down on like the 19th of 2020. So I've been sitting on this flight credit and then COVID there was like a resurgence of COVID. So I couldn't use the credit for another year. And, um, and so the, the voucher was about to, or the credit was about to expire. So I was like, you know, I was trying to figure out what to do with this, with this airplane ticket and decided to sort of spontaneously go back to Colorado and, um, see my friends in BV down in sort of Southwest. So I flew into Colorado Springs, uh, and then drove, rented a car and drove to BV and did some mountain bike riding and Buena Vista for you. Um, Buna actually. Buna. Buna. Yeah. Don't make that mistake. <laughs> my bad. Uh, and so we weren't able to record last week and maybe not even the week or so that'd been two weeks. I don't know. It's um, been two or three weeks since we recorded. Yeah. Uh, I have so much to say. Yeah, it was a tri- it was a trippy it was a trippy uh journey and in, in, in the literal and f- figurative senses. Uh I went off to a place called Crestone, uh, which is a pre it's like Sedona, like energetic vortex, and I ate a shit shit ton of mushrooms. <laughs> and um and it was uh, uh I was in an effort, like I've done MDMA journeys, but they were guided and it was really kind of an effort in an effort to, um, kind of, uh, heal myself, um, or parts of me. And, uh, it was not a good trip. Um, you know, I really was being very mindful of, uh, being very mindful of, um, the notion that the medicine was delivering what I needed. And it opened my perception in ways that, um, uh, I was, I needed, but then also like, it was just, I was so tired and I would close my eyes and it was just a horror show. Um, you know, and I think as I understand psilocybin therapy, you know, or LSD, uh, not as a party drug, but as a, as a way of healing one's brain, um, it needed, I, it needed to happen. And it was, it was, it was rough. I was peaking mm. and completely coming apart and, um, left the place I was in and to go outside and was like inconsolably crying and outside seemed too confining. Um, and I realized like, you know, I'm, a uh, It was, it was, I think the analogy I used is it was like tearing this huge, ugly scab off and it needed to happen because it wasn't, I wasn't quite healing. I wasn't quite healing correctly. Um, some cool things, you know, uh, some cool experiences and some, some cool visions, but it was just like, I don't know. It was grueling, grueling. Thank you. Did you feel better the next day? Mm -hmm. Do you feel better now? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know for sure because I've never eaten 17 pounds of mushrooms all at one time before. (laughs) Uh, Uh But it's the sort of thing that, um, there are sort of echoes of your experience and you, uh, you, circle back on thing on things that you experienced or notions that you had. And, um, it's, uh, I don't know, essentially it's kind of, it's kind of a rewiring of your mainframe, you know? And I think I want, I really wanted to laugh hysterically and just be like out of my mind delirious. But I think, you know, maybe being, being in my home state, which is near and dear to my heart, but not a place I think I could live again. Uh, I think that that presented its own sets of challenges. And certainly the last couple of years of 
uh, loss. And I mean, shit in the last month, three friends have died. And, um, uh, that, that's, a that's a lot of weight to carry, you know? So it was a beautiful, it was a beautiful experience. I've been plagued with a weird ankle issue. Uh, so I was really trying to shut that down and, uh, ride and hike and, and ride my skateboard and, you know, try to live as normal, a, a pain-free existence as I could. But, uh, it was, uh, it's pretty, my, my ankle's pretty fucked up right now. <laughs> Just got an x-ray yesterday to make sure there's no structural damage, but there's rumor or word that I might have ruptured a tendon or might have hairline fractures or who knows. Mm. So mm. when I was small, I pretended to have braces. Like I'd make braces out of paper clips and I, and I would like <laughs> would put a ton of uh, socks on my arm and pretend that my arm was broken. And, uh, I wanted to wear glasses. And I remember I was walking with a limp at one point. My mom's like, what are you doing? I'm like what? <laughs> <laughs> and I, cause I thought, I don't know. I thought it was cool. I saw Archie comic when I was in first grade and Jughead had hurt himself skateboarding and he had band-aids all over him. So I put band-aids all over me. Cause I thought yeah. this, I've yeah, got yeah. this weird appreciation for being wounded from being small. And now I have a limp. I wear glasses. I've had braces. And I've broken my bones. I think that's bones. what's called manifesting. I think you have manifested your own destiny. <laughs> mm. Man, I'm all of the things I wanted to be when I was in first grade. And I don't like it Partially very much. crippled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so let's get into it, man. Question all one. Right. Well, this episode is about hometowns. Yeah. Uh, the good, the bad, the ugly. And what happens when we go back to visit... Uh, cause you can, you can never go home again. So question one is you just got back from a two week trip to Colorado, which is your home state. Although I don't think you visited Evergreen, right? No, I did not. Didn't go to Evergreen. No. Uh, which is your actual hometown. Yeah. How do you feel about Colorado generally now that you live in Washington and after living in California for so long and I cheat with these questions because there are multiple questions within the questions. Would you go back to Colorado if you could, which clearly you cannot? About 10 years. you uh, can't go home again. Right. After 10, about 10 years of living in the Bay Area, I, I realized the only two places I wanted to live were the Bay Area or Colorado. But I didn't want to live in either of those places because I already lived in both those places, you know. Um, mm. I kind of got it touched on this when we first started talking, but I used to go home when I was in college and I would feel sick to my stomach, the, the, the nostalgia and the longing for, or the, uh, it wasn't really longing for what was, but it was just, it was just, um, Oh God, it's hard. It's hard to explain. My sister at one point said, you know, it's, it's just like you're being, you're a stranger in a place that is totally familiar to you. Like the ghosts, that's what it is. There's fucking ghosts everywhere. There's memories everywhere. And it's like paralyzingly nostalgic. Uh, and it just, it just like, it is, it's so emotional to me that uh, or I have such an emotional response um, regarding or relating to uh, memories and not being able to hold on to them and, and having these tangible experiences. But but I'm I'm watching I'm watching myself go through these have these experiences. But I'm I'm now and this was two years ago or five years ago or ten years ago or twenty years ago, and it took me a really really long time to get over to get over that. And I go back now and I, if I go to my hometown where I have no stake in it, my parents have moved away. Um, and I can manage a little more easily because I have a different life, an entirely different life now. And that's very evident. Um, but it's still, you know, I still kind of choke up about it a little bit. The, the, um, so the the term nostalgia, it has this kind of like, oh, yeah, sweat into the oldies. Like it has this sort of like um, fond memories uh, connotation to it now. Yeah. But the original the original term nostalgia was a term for an, a mental illness. 
And I forget the exact group. I think it was some Swiss people were moved to another place and they lost their shit and killed themselves (laughs) because of their like inability to not be in in Switzerland or, or wherever they had started. Um, and I think this was in a time when people weren't just traveling around all the time. Jet planes weren't a thing. And so people were really much more rooted in their communities than they are now. Um, but I think there are aspects of nostalgia that are still um, a little bit dark and a little bit uh, hard to process and deal with. I would say I would say melancholy would be a good descriptor. Mm. I don't want to live there again. I don't want to necessarily. I mean, it's impossible for me to live in that time. Um, but uh, it man, maybe um, maybe it's a matter of of oh, geez, I just kind of lost it. Uh, just, it's just this like constant longing for something or being, being so observant of, of every little nuance and every little experience and every little smell and every little sound. And then I get those, I get those tastes and it brings me back to that place, but I know that I'm not there or something. I I don't know. It's. It's hard to explain. You don't, I mean, we've talked about you, you grew up in a little town in Louisiana. Alabama. Oh, I grew Alabama. up in Mobile, in Mobile, Alabama, right? And I did, I went back there after I came to college in Boston. I went back there after my freshman year. That was the last time I went back for any length of time at all. And even after, you know, a year away, I was like, And my parents were moving out. My parents moved like that house that I lived in. Even even that summer, like we had moved out of the house that I grew up in. And it was really terrible. It was a really terrible experience. Um, Mobile, Alabama, um, for all of its uh, charms, uh, doesn't compare well with Boston after you've sort of made a little life and begun to explore the world here. So I was like, I was both terribly bored, but also the things like the touchstones of my youth were no longer available to me. So it was just this weird kind of purgatorial experience that I wanted out of as quick as I could. And I've been back there like for very brief visits, although not for a long time. And I've seen friends and friends are good there and and it's an okay place to be like, I'm I'm not trying to denigrate Mobile, Alabama. I'm it's not for me. I couldn't live there. Um, But I do have that experience of like going back and like whatever the life that you were so invested in before, it's just gone. It's just not even a thing anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I think that I would probably have a similar experience go going to the Bay Area. You know, I made the I made Oakland my home for so long and like a huge investment with a person and a home and a, and, and a community. And I got flicked. I mean, partially it was my doing, but the idea of going back there fills me with so much fucking anxiety. And, um, you know, it's bound to happen again at some point, but I just, I mean, it just, it, the idea of it keeps me awake. You know, seeing my seeing what was, and uh, yeah, I just I don't know, man. Like it's it's uh, you know what? I, I kind of feel like it's um, it's like having a foot in two different places, you know, and two different times. Like I ha- absolutely feel like um, when my parents moved from Colorado. I remember I was out there with a with a girlfriend. She she was in the state around the same time and she couldn't understand why I couldn't just get over, get over the fact that my parents were leaving. Like this is a place for, for all of its uh, strengths or weaknesses or, and or weaknesses. 
Um, this is a place that was partially responsible for making me who I am. And I don't have a, I don't have, I didn't have a, a place. I didn't have a place to go to. I didn't have a landing spot or, you know, I, but again, it's her perspective is, was, was different than mine. And I felt very, I feel very connected to the place, but I don't have a spot there. I feel very connected yeah. to the Bay area, but I don't have a spot there. And I just don't, you know, and I kind of, I just miss belonging. I think that's what it is. It's being belonging somewhere is, is super important to me and I don't belong anywhere now. I'm just kind of cut loose and that's hard. I get that. Yeah. I get that. I get that. You have to have your place in your community and be comfortable and that's where you live your life. I get that. I, I mean, I, here in Boston, we live we live in a suburb now, like six miles from downtown, but we lived in uh, like where a lot of the students lived, this little uh, neighborhood called Alston, which is, you know, like if you walk around Alston, or at least when you walked around Alston, when I was there, you know, you would hear bands uh, in various basements practicing. And it's like this amazing mix of like students and immigrant populations. And there's just a lot of like people sharing each other's food and an insane amount of partying and there's art and there's all this stuff. And we go over there. Like when I saw plosives, they played in that neighborhood. There's things that happen over there. So I'm over there occasionally. And every time I go over there, I, I feel like I'm walking around the scene of a crime that I committed. <laughs> Which is um, true on some levels, but also like, like maybe I shouldn't be here. Like, I know it's been a long time, but maybe someone's going to be like, there he is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Uh, yeah. 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 That, I, I, that, that makes sense to me. That's a, that's a creative way of describing uh, a potentially um hijinks filled history in a place yeah yeah and it's like i don't belong there anymore i shouldn't i shouldn't be here i still love it i still love to go over there like i'm sure you still love oakland but you go there and you're like yeah i'm not this guy anymore and maybe i shouldn't be here uh the universe saw saw to it that i had to make a change you know kicking yeah. and screaming like a motherfucker yeah. Um, you were in the battle royale and you got thrown over the ropes and you're just fucking out now. Uh-huh. I landed on one of those folding tables. It collapsed. Yeah. A bunch of red solo cups full of water got spilled all over me. There's papers yep. everywhere. It's just yep. a disaster. But it's not I beyond a... repair. Oh, no, no. It's not beyond repair. You'll get up. You'll find a new tag team partner. Maybe you'll get like a new cape or some other uh, thing to add to your shtick. Like you'll a, get back in the I ring. Like capes. Yeah, uh, I watched a Andre the Giant documentary since last time we. Jesus, <laughs> that guy loved. Amazing. Have you ever seen the picture of his hand holding a can of beer? Oh yes, it's like that's a, in the documentary also. Yeah, it's like um, you can't. It's like a. It's like two inches tall and his gigantic meat paw. Let the record show that Steve is uh, making um, <laughs> hand gestures, <laughs> which sound great. <laughs> uh, but so uh, generally, if it's Washington, California, would you go back if you could, which clearly you cannot? No, maybe. I don't no. know. BV was one of the places I had on a short list of places that I was going to go to. I had a job at... Uh, my friend Simon and the aforementioned Joe Parkin has nice hairs bike shop slash bar. And I had a place to live in this in-law that was being built out above this guy Robbins. Robin has this humongous garage and you're just looking out over all of these 14ers. And uh, that looked like that was going to be a pretty, pretty nice place to land, but also, um, you know, BV's a pretty small town, and I think I would have been pretty isolated there. I was looking at Kansas City. I was looking at, I had a place. I had a place on lock to live in Arkansas. Um, 
uh, where else was I looking at potentially maybe San Diego? Like, I, I didn't, I didn't know, you know, like I wasn't, I didn't have anywhere to go. I just knew that I couldn't stay there. And, you know, Colorado was on the short list. I just don't, it's not the same place that it used to be. You know, I still feel like a puzzle. When I go there, I feel like I'm a puzzle piece that, that has found its hole, you know? Um, but I just don't know if I could live there yet. There's a lot of places I haven't lived that I would like to investigate mm. first, maybe. I'm not like sure. Osaka and Kuala Lumpur. What's that? Nothing. Oh, hey, it's story time with Steve. When I was eight or nine years old, my mom and dad bought me my first BMX bike. It was a JC Penny Free Spirit. And in time, I went on to put some nice accessories and components on it, like a tough neck stem and CW bars which just made it sort of the embodiment of putting a nice frame on a shitty painting. One day I was hanging out at the local bike shop, which during the winter was a ski shop. It was a little tiny place run by this guy named Andy. And one day he gave me a 10 inch long die cut Shimano sticker. It was blue. And I didn't really know what Shimano was or anything about it, but I put it on my top tube and immediately made the bike. 150% cooler. It was around that time that I probably became a lifelong Shimano guy. So let's go on to question number two. <laughs> uh, I have this theory that the world is made up of locals and nomads, and you're one or the other. Like, I've lived in Boston for 30 years, but I'm not from here. Mm -hmm. I can never be from here. No one who's from here thinks I'm from here. Uh, I'm a nomad. My parents are nomads. And part of that perspective is that you view the rest of the world in a different way than a local does. So do you think in your heart you're nomadic or would you really like to be a local either in California or Washington or Colorado, whatever? But I, what, when you're talking, I hear you think, saying like, I just really want to be a local, but I can't find my spot uh i was very proudly a coloradan in oakland I mm. i've always loved oakland oakland is the just this underdog city for so long and when i moved there in 1989 it was especially so and still kind of trying to recover from so much political and economic turmoil from the late 60s and 70s and, you know, a white boy from a small town in Colorado landing in Oakland and thriving. Fuck yeah, I was proud of that. And my mom was born in Oakland and my grandparents were also, and my great-grandmother too. Great-grandmother and great-grandfather were also from Oakland, uh, which I didn't realize until, you know, my mom came over one day and she's like, oh, the hospital across the street from your house, I, that, was, that was where I was born. And I was like, whoa, fuck. Even though she moved to, she moved to Missouri <clears throat> when she was small. Um, uh, and then, you know, then met, met my dad there and stuff. Uh, but uh, where was I going with that? I just, I really liked, I liked the history and I liked, again, you know, it was feeling like I belonged somewhere. Um, and, and also, sort of feeling like I was beating the odds. I didn't move to some fancy, uh, you know, so, so like a desirable location. I was making, not just making do, but I was living well, sort of against the odds. Um, so, uh, I'm at, I'm constantly at odds. Like on one hand, I want roots. And on one hand, I want, I have this, this, this sort of palpable wanderlust and I don't know how to manage either. So I sit in one place and I try and I think about, you know, maybe I'd like to buy a house. Maybe I'd like to have a home again, but also maybe that's not in the cards for me. And so maybe I just live in my truck, but that's not very sustainable because that you're dealing with elements and you're dealing with, you know, it's, it just doesn't, I don't know. I don't know what, I don't know what to do. I'm sort of two different 
um, needs and two different people just kind of jammed into one indecisive body. Mm. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, the, the, if the last two years has taught me anything, it's that nothing's guaranteed. And maybe, maybe I just don't give a fuck anymore and I don't need four walls and I get rid of my shit and, or maybe I do. I re- I don't know. I don't know. Who, I don't know who I am. Hmm. That's tough. Mm-hmm. That's hard. Well, sort of. I mean, it doesn't, I don't wake up thinking about it and it doesn't hinder me from, it doesn't prevent me from doing or living, you know, but it just like, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what's next. And it, there's some, <clears throat> there's some liberation in that, I think, to just say, okay, well, fuck it. I really, I think that's what's called resilience, right? It's like, uh, kind of, you, you know, you're growing more resilient. <laughs> I don't know. I think I've told, said to you before, I do this thing because I have um, <clears throat> I have this chronic depression and sometimes it leaves me feeling like right now I'm fine. I feel fine. Uh, but sometimes it makes me feel that sort of like, I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what anything is worth anyway. It's just that, you know, you get to this sort of hopeless place and I play this game uh, with myself where I just, I pretend that when I woke up this, that morning, I got out of a time machine and that I don't know anything about where I am. I just have to react to whatever is happening in front of me right then. And a lot of people will be like, Oh, that's mindfulness or that's living in the moment or like whatever the fuck. I don't, I just try to like, let go of the past and let go of the future in that way to say, well, I mean, I just got here to, you know, uh, October of 2022. I don't know what's, I don't even, nothing matters. Nothing matters. I just got here. Look, there's a coffee maker. I'll make coffee. And that helps, that helps me a lot. Um, when I'm really, in the struggles. Uh, and a part of that is like, just like, it doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter where you've been or what you've been doing. It's just like right now, look, there's the dog. I'll pet the, I'll pet a dog. Uh, that take like narrowing your aperture. <clears throat> yeah. Like that it's, um, I think it's, it's really beneficial. Because, uh, what don't, what did you t- tell me one time? Um, don't get, don't get caught up in the chaos of the future or something. Maybe oh, yeah. that was somebody don't, I had written that down on a card. It's on my bathroom mirror. The wreckage of the future. The don't get in tank. The, don't get caught up in the wreckage of the future. Yeah. yeah. Um, because I historically have a terrible time. It, instead of, instead of concentrating on, you know, breathing. And just sitting and understanding that there's ground beneath my feet. I just go into these, not some, not as bad as I used to, but I go into these, these, um, frenzies where I'm trying to, I'm looking at this, these exploded views of life. And, uh, it's just, it's just not manageable. You know, emotionally, spiritually, any of it. <clears throat> it's very hard to accept uh, a chaotic world. And we, we try to tell ourselves that everything makes sense. Like, I'm sure I'm going to irritate a bunch of people when I say this. But when people say everything happens for a reason, I think. <laughs> nope. <laughs> nope. I mean, you can decide there was a reason, uh, but everything happens. That much is true. Uh, and your ability to accept that it has happened uh, and to move on and just do your thing, even though it happened, whatever it was, good, bad and different. Like that seems to me like 
when I'm doing my best, I'm just accepting that, yeah, all that shit is happening. But crazy things are happening. Things that annoy me, things that make me happy. It's all just happening. Yeah. A lot of it doesn't have anything to do with me. Most of it has nothing to do with me. Well, uh, it's, it's fun, though, to get to a point where, well, not fun, maybe that's not the right word, but it's interesting to get to a point where a whole bunch of stuff has gone down and you kind of look back at this, at this course or this trajectory and you say, well, if, if that one terrible thing hadn't happened, it wouldn't have set up all of these other things and whether or not, you know, it's predestined or just the universe is chaos and nothing's related. I I tend to believe both things. Um, or I, you know, I think I'd believe both, both things. Um, and then you say that, well, that those things did, you know, this all did kind of occur for a reason. All of these things did happen for a reason. And, and what, what you get out of it, you have to engage in all of that, all of those processes as well. I don't know what I'm saying. Just looking. No, I think. I think that's right. Like I was talking about going back to Alston and feeling like I was at the scene. I'm at the scene of a crime because when I lived there, I was living a really messy life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> very messy. Um, and very few streets I can walk down in that neighborhood and not think of so like, oh, sh- that was a rough one. Um, and that's OK, because that produced, you know, in part what what I am and have now. Yeah. Um, which is, which is great, but that's, you know, I think the, the, the point is that that's meaning I project in retrospect. Sure. Well, that's, you know, in the moment, that's natural. And as human beings looking for patterns is what we do. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that like, that's fine, right? Like I want to look at my life and see, I want to make it meaningful because I suspect it's not, but I think in the moment, like looking for meaning in every single moment is not helpful. And in fact, uh, that's like getting caught up in the wreckage of the future because you're like trying to make something happen for yourself that isn't happening. Making sense of something that doesn't make sense. Right. Also, I think is an, is a normal human response, you know, when, something terrible happens. You think this has got to be whatever God's closing one window and opening another door or whatever you want this to, you want there to be some benefit. You want there to be some light at the end of the tunnel. So as a, as a normal feeling human being, you're going to be looking at why, why is this happening? Because it, because it's, there's something else. There's something else down the road. This isn't just, this isn't the end of my story. This isn't how I am going to live out my years because of this occurrence. And, and I guess I just, now I'm just taking up space or whatever the situation is. I think, I think, well, this is, this is what I, what I was trying to say a second ago is that if you are in a bad place and you are trying very hard to find the meaning in that bad place, I would bet that the right thing to do is wait and see, make a cup of coffee, pet a dog, chill the fuck out, wait to see what's going to happen. Wait to see, like, you'll get to a place where you can make some meaning from it, where you can, it can be useful either as an object lesson in what not to do or, you know, whatever it is. But like, when you're in the bad place isn't necessarily the moment when you make sense of being in the bad place. Right. Sure. And this is, this is the hometown thing. It's like, you can't go home again. You can't just decide to put yourself in a comfortable place. Where is it? I don't know. When you're, when you're a mess between your ears or even in your life, you can't just decide, ah, now I'm comfortable and rooted. And I feel like a part of this community. Sometimes you just have to wait and see. Yeah. Which is, uh, can be uncomfortable all unto itself because as, oh, absolutely. as, as, a, as a human being, you, one tends to want 
stability, consistency, you know, security. Who's yeah, it? I want I just want results all the time. <clears throat> I want to do things and I want to get results all the time. And unfortunately, life isn't really like that. Doesn't no, life doesn't care what I want or think. Many most of the things happening around me don't have anything to do with me. I'm just a bystander. And it's hard because I want to arri- I want to always be arriving at some better place. Right. Well, then uh, there's the whole school of thought that, you know, you, you if you envision it, you can manifest it. And if your life sucks, then that's your it's because you haven't been manifesting enough, which yeah. that I don't know, like that whole thing. Just the more I think about it, the more frustrating that becomes. You know, I try. I think it's garbage myself. I'm, I'm, I tend to agree, but I also think that maybe it's, um, uh, there's something kind of, there's something to it. Uh, you know, well, what I think is that it's simplistic. It's simplistic to say, well, just manifest it. Like, what the fuck does that mean? What, what I believe is in any moment, what you do, what you're actually doing is what matters. It doesn't matter what you think. What are you actually doing? Are you doing good things for yourself? Are you doing bad things for yourself? Uh, or are you doing nothing? And so, like, good things will happen if you do good things. It's real. That is the simple bit. And maybe it's not like uh, A to B, like, oh, I did this nice thing for this person, then they did a nice thing for me. Maybe that's how it works in the moment, or maybe it's just... You did a nice thing for somebody and now you don't have to think you're a piece of shit for the rest of the day. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's my goal most days is to try to not be a piece of shit. You know, bar's pretty low, uh, but it's I think it, that's right where it belongs. Whatever. There's a bar. <laughs> it, yeah. it used to have a bar. Yeah. Uh, what about you? Are you, you know, with this, this, I feel like you write these questions and, and then we just end up talking about my own bullshit, but what are you i mean i i i would guess that you and i are kind of similar in that like all you want to do is throw a sleeping bag in a car and get the fuck out but also you have one foot in doing that and one foot in a home with a partner Absolutely. and kids and are you, do you find yourself being a little bit torn? I know you absolutely adore your family and wouldn't go out for a pack of cigarettes and never come home again. But also you have a bit of a wanderlust as well. I, I, I feel. Yeah. I, I love my life. I love my wife. I love my kids. I've got a great dog. Uh, I love all my friends who live around here. I love the trails around here. I love New England and I spend an awful lot of time thinking about what would be better. (laughs) 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 And I, (laughs) and I daydream about like, (laughs) I I dream about like, I'm going to move to Wales and I'm going to spend all my time walking up and down mountains in Wales and I'm going to get a mountain bike and I'm going to go do this during the day. And it's just this total Walter Mitty life where I'm like, uh, I am I, like the truth about me is that I am a I'm a suburban dad who wears punk rock T-shirts to feel like he's not too like he's not dead yet. Uh, and I do dream about like traveling and being on the road and living someplace else. I want what I want, I think, and this goes back to the time machine thing. And it goes back to like my basic view of like how life actually works versus how I live it. I want to be resilient enough to just deal with whatever's happening to like latch on to whatever good ideas come up whether that's my good idea or somebody else's good idea, I want to be that kind of like adaptable, ready to rock person. But I really love to lay on the couch with my wife and the smelly ass dog and watch fucking Netflix. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it is, it is a dichotomous contradictory way to be. Yeah. I said for years, if things didn't work out 
said, I said at one point I was talking to Robert Ives, I think. Um, and I said, I feel like I got one foot, I got 49% or 51% of my life in, or being in this existence, like 51% of my life is wholly committed to this person in this place. And if things go sideways with this, I have 49% of me that is just out and I'm going to go live in an abandoned mine and fuck everything. You know, my, when I, I don't know if I brought this up. I, we were driving to church when I was small and I was struggling with, you know, being alive or existing. And my dad said, well, you know, what are you going to do? Like be a hermit? And, and I said, he said, that's just not reasonable. I know I've told this story before. And I, I didn't know what a hermit was. I said, what's that? And he said, oh, it's just somebody who just goes and lives in the woods and doesn't talk to anybody. And I was just like, oh, my God. That's <laughs> Wait, a, that's a job? <laughs> that's an option? I mean, it. I felt like I sort of changed cellularly. You know, I was like, yes, yes, that's for me. Um, you know, also not very healthy and not very practical, but I, yeah, I was kind of sad. Like if things don't work out with this, with this, uh, life path, then I'm, then I'm done. And it didn't work out with that life path. And here I am not living in a mine, you know, but like, I'm a fucking lot closer than I, um, than I was, I think, uh, well, but I, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I find like as a friend of yours, this is going to sound, I feel like this is going to sound terrible, but as a friend of yours, I am really intrigued with how you live your life because you really are the embodiment of, well, well that life ended and figure out a new one. Go. And, and for some for mm. someone like me who who and I love my life, I'm not going anywhere. But, you know, you have these fantasies like if I were on my own, I would do blah, 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 blah. I'm definitely full of crap. I wouldn't do blah, 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 blah. I would flail and I would uh, I'm not saying you're flailing. Uh, I would long for, you know, the connection and the home and the, all those things. So as a friend of yours and just like who participates with you and talks with you regularly, I am intrigued by the choices you make and the things that move you and the things you decide to do. And I got to make a living, you know, I got like. I don't not everybody uh, would. Some people would just be like, and then I was homeless. Yeah, well, it definitely crossed my mind. I mean, it was sure that was that was on the radar. You know, do I really need all this? Do I need the stuff? Do I need these pairs of shoes? But, you know, I need a pair of shoes. I only have two feet. But there's security, I guess there's security and stuff and having enough, having enough T-shirts. I met this guy when I was in BV who was, he was from Florida or something. This guy was just like traveling, you know, and he was at a, he was at somewhere and there's a, it's a burger, uh, like food truck in BV called the Viking something. They make just insane burgers. So the food is so good. And the owner overheard this guy saying something about, or no, this guy overheard the owner saying that he was looking for a cook. And this guy goes, well, I cook. And he's like, oh, okay, you know, we'll, we'll give you a shot. And he said, this dude is just killing it like super employee of the month for all of the five months or whatever. And he's, he lives in the baseball dugout. Like he has a backpack and he goes to work and he cooks and he does an amazing job. And he's become a really, um, uh, sort of integral part of the community, you know, for the time that he's there, he's a really, really nice guy. And he goes and plays bike polo and, and goes and sleeps in the dugout. And I don't know what he's going to do this winter, you know, but he's just like, he's just making money. And then he's off to the next thing. I want to, maybe, maybe that's what I do. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know. 
I admire people like that. I definitely admire people like that. Um, I like that. I like anyone who can demonstrate a faith that things are going to work huh. out and I'm going to make my way. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm horribly insecure about all of that. Yeah. And I, I wonder if it's, you know, I wonder if it's not an, maybe it, it's, it's a more natural response for some people than others. But I wonder if, uh, you know, it's, it's probably scary. It's, it was probably scary for him too. And then he said, fuck it. And now he's used to it. Like, I don't need, you know, I've got, I still have my, my, pretty much my entire studio is still in Oakland. I haven't, I've needed to access some resource material and I would love to have a flat, my flat file and all this stuff. I don't have room for any of that, but since I haven't used any of the shit, really what's the, what's, what's the value of any of this stuff if I'm not using it? And maybe all I need is a sketchbook and a pencil and I can put that in a backpack and fuck doing paintings and fuck trying to create a body, like, you know, build a body of work to have shows. And then once you have shows, you have all this framed work. And what do you do with that? What's the fucking point? Somebody that I was talking to uh, in Colorado, it was funny. I don't remember who it was, but um, the, I was talking about like how much work I have, like, you know, 35 years worth of paintings and drawings and stuff. And they said, why don't, why don't you sell them? I'm just like, oh my <laughs> fucking God. A, are you serious? And B, huh, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> So it's this, all the stuff that I make. I'm, and that's another contradiction, too, is because I'm constantly making stuff, but I'm a total minimalist. I'm creating a volume, but I don't want any of it. It's, I don't My know. My vision for your art career is you just confine yourself to drawing penises in stacks of post-it notes. It <laughs> is one of my favorite things to do. Yeah, eventually, eventually there's a show at MoMA in New York, and it's just three galleries filled with oh, man. penises on post-it notes. I don't know why I think that. So there's that scene in The Big Lebowski where um, the sheriff is like writing something on a pad, and then he leaves the room, and The Big Lebowski goes over and does the pencil tracing to find out what it what he was writing while he was on the phone. Yeah, And it's just yeah. this little cartoon character of a dude with a giant boner. <laughs> which I, is one of the funniest visuals in the movie. And so I, I started doing kind of a similar cartoon guy and he's waving and he's got a huge boner and I just put it in the post-it notes in the business in the, in the, um, in the whatever business, what's it called in the hotel? You got computers and a printer and Oh, the business center. Yeah. The business center. So at some point, somebody's going to peel off this post-it note and there's going to be this cartoon of it <laughs> and it's just going to be confused. You know, they're, they're like it's the time bomb. That's what I really love about yes. that sort of thing. Yeah, I'll, yeah, yeah, I'll yeah, sign yeah. Bibles in hotel rooms sometimes that say like best wishes, J Christ, uh, <laughs> or, um, what's a, what's another one? Oh, I, uh, there's a catalog called international mail and it's just like, muscly tan muscly dudes with like flowing robes and banana hammocks like well stuffed banana hammocks and uh i took i cut a bunch of these pictures out and i taped them under the bottom of people's toolboxes and like <laughs> up in the i-beams up in the ceilings of these warehouses and so there's these international mail catalog photos that are still like people periodically will send me a text message and say like, Oh, I found another one of the fucking guys <laughs> at this warehouse I used to work at. I think that stuff's really funny. I think what Banksy does is fucking lame. Anyone can just spray paint some shit on a wall, but <laughs> all right. Uh, Question three. Yeah. Question three. Oh, this is a would you rather I think, huh? It is a would you rather. Okay. Here's the here's the setup. Okay. Your friend offers you an opportunity to make a great deal of money very quickly. He's arranged to set up an offshore account for your profits. Not that I know what an offshore account is or how you get to it. But he <laughs> won't tell you exactly how he's making the money, but you kind of could guess that it's not legal because why do you need an offshore account? He only wants 500 bucks from you. And promises you'll have enough from your 500 buck buy-in that you'll never need to work again. 
Would you rather take the money and ask no questions or turn down the deal because you think it's shady? <laughs> uh, and this people might be dying. Like, we don't know. Maybe it's just. Yeah. Maybe it's just drugs. Yep. Maybe it's just drugs. <laughs> oh, man. I have a little bit of a flexible morality when it comes to, uh, you know, guaranteeing that I can pay rent or shit. Mm. Maybe even maybe even own a home again. Yeah. Uh, I would probably take the money and... <sighs> How, what's the turnaround here? Uh, maybe it's a year. Oh. You give him 500 bucks now, and in a year, you're set. Am I, risk, am I potentially risking incarceration, too? Nope. Oh. You're going to get away with it. This is really a question for your conscience. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I'd do it. Yeah. I'd, and I'd feel weird about it, for sure. And then if I found out in the meantime that the people were being hurt, like, that's the that's the thing. Shady is, is such a broad arc, you know? Mm. It could be... I don't want people to be being taken advantage of, and I don't want people to be being hurt. But if it's, if it's you know, an illegal grow or you're skimming off of a corporation or something like that. I have, I have no qualms with that. Okay. So selling drugs and embezzlement, you're down for (laughs) (laughs) Oregon, Oregon harvesting. You're probably out. out. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Illegal organ harvesting. Right. Right. As opposed to the other kind. Right. Yeah. (laughs) I like it. Yeah. I mean, this, you know, that's the kind of the fun thing about would you rather is just there's always the gray, there's the gray area. And, uh, yeah. I, I love the, I love the gray area and I love, I just love hypotheticals, I think, because they, oh, it's just fantasy, you know? What, what if somebody did give me this opportunity? And I get really invested in, in the, I get really invested in the fantasy and then I start thinking about all of the possibilities, all of the financial, like to have financial security seems really nice. And, 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 and what compromises would I make to to my own integrity to ensure financial security? I don't know. Right now I would do anything for a little bit of financial security. But again, next week, um, I mean, you're doing this podcast. So, I mean, tell me, tell me that without telling me that. (laughs) Oh boy. It's just, it's, it's just fun to, it's fun. It's fun to think about stuff like this. Yeah. I'd probably do it. I'm turning the money down. I'm turning the money down. You would. Well, you are in a different economic position than I am too. But well, even I, if I you am. were, even if you were like dirt poor, you would say the same thing, huh? Well, well, here's what I think. Here's what I think. And you can call bullshit. I'm comfortable with it. If I don't have to work, I'm pretty fucked. Like left to my own devices, I can do whatever I want. I, that's not a great. That's not a great look. That's not a great outcome for me. I really need the the like. I need to be, I'm, I'm a draft horse, right? Like I'm pulling the plow. I'm totally fucking all my farm metaphors here, but, uh, I need to be in the harness on something or else I spin off into space and it's not good for me. You become, I tell Brittany, if we won the lottery, I would give them all the money away before I told her about it because I just think. That level of like, you can do, you can have whatever you want. You can do whatever you want for like an addicted mind like mine. It just is like, I'm going to make all the bad choices. I would rather just, oh, I want a billion. Somebody cure a disease and leave me alone. Interesting. Yes. You sort of become feral. 
I think so. I become I become not a human person anymore. Like I would rather I would rather like, oh, I you have to wash dishes at the Mexican place. Uh, and that's a lot of refried beans to deal with. You you've mm-hmm. been there. You know what that's like. Yeah, people, I would rather do that. People used to put change in their food in their leftover, and I would scrape all this food into the garbage disposal, and then it'd turn into this cacophony oh. of noise, and I'd have to reach in and pull out people's fucking change. God, I hated working in a kitchen. I am mad at those people, but I'm pretty happy with your casual use of the word cacophony. <laughs> uh, Daniel Wakefield Paisley asked me at one point, he said, what would you do if money wasn't an object? And I realized like I would be doing exactly what I am doing. I just wouldn't yeah. be fighting for fucking air every day. You know, like I could make, I could not only make the product that I wanted and run the business, I could have a website that worked and I could, I could paint and I could, I could have a studio and I wouldn't have to be relying on doing animal paintings. You know, like I could make the work that I wanted to make wholly across the board. And I think that just to have that little bit of room to breathe would be amazing. And I don't need much, you know, I think I would love to donate money to every cause that I believe in. And I would likely give most of it away, but just to have a, just to have a little bit of flexibility, you know, to not be fighting for air every day would be so liberating. I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. Let, let's do some crimes. That's my takeaway. Fun little crimes. Let's do some crimes. That's going to be, uh, that's going to be the next fanzine that I make is called fun little crimes. Crimes. I've been working on this for a while. Uh, we're in an hour and five minutes and 54 seconds and zero half seconds. So, Thanks for listening to Revolting. Yeah. <laughs> if you have an idea for an episode, you can email me at steve at cyclingindependent.com or robot at robot at cyclingindependent.com. <laughs> if you like this or any of the other not award not winning content <laughs> you find on the cycling independent please share it with a friend there's no point in suffering alone uh, on behalf of the cycling independent i'm steve and i'm robot don't forget to suck it yeah.